You know what I hate? I don't actually hate it because I don't hate a whole lot of stuff, but I got a song stuck in my head again, but I got a beer in my hand. <laughs> I don't even know why. I hear it at work all the time. I hear it at work like four times a day, if not more than that, because uh, the playlist that we listen to at work never gets changed, and it's a small playlist. So I, got, I hear that song four or five times a day, just like, I, like on the radio, but it'll be all right. We're going to survive it. Welcome to the Woodshed. It's a podcast. Tell your friends. Tell your mom. Tell your mom's friends. Tell everybody. Just grab the link and send it to them. Uh, got room for a new sponsor. I, uh, and this one's desperate for me because uh, they were my coffee sponsor, so I'm sad that I don't have a coffee sponsor at the moment. Um, so if you're listening and you got a connection in the coffee world, hey, holler at a boy, <laughs> holler at me, holler at me. Um, if you're in a band and you're making music and you want to talk to me about it, you can email me. Welcome to the woodshed at yahoo.com is the email address. That's the professional email. I don't have a semi-pro email or an amateur email. I just have that one, <laughs> but Hey, um, yeah, let's go ahead and thank the sponsors, Rogue Valley DJs, you know, uh, doing it on the ones and twos. If you don't know what the ones and twos are, you're not a DJ or don't have a good friend that's a DJ that's explained to you what the ones and twos are, but it's channel one and channel two, and basically player one and player two, whatever you're on, like be it a controller or you're actually a vinyl DJ, which is, you know, still really cool. Um, both are, to me, are pretty cool, but vinyl is a little, you know... Like you got to get your hands in the soup and make a mess, if you know what I'm saying. Um, but yeah, Rogue Valley DJs, if you're looking for a DJ for an event, it's really easy. Just email gary at roguevalleydjs.com, and he'll get you set up. Moxley Media, my boy Joe, Jesus, and Alina, and the guys, uh, Jordan and Gabe, who are back there printing. Oh yeah, and Wes, our newest guy who actually isn't new because he worked there once, moved to Colorado, came back. Now he's back at Moxley Media doing the print thing. So, yeah, Moxley Media. Um, also, that's my new day job. Pretty cool. So they not only uh, help me out with the podcast, but they give me a paycheck. It's pretty cool. Um, but, yeah, Moxley Media, we're printing stuff. If you need something printed, you know, you can holler. Moxleymedia.com. Just do it. Do it. Oh, look, design. They do some design stuff. We might print that for you if you need that done, whatever. But yeah, Look Design, they've done all my logo work and, in fact, have helped me with a really nice resume when I needed it. And um, yeah, so that just tells you that they have the skills to pay the bills, if you know what I'm saying. Um, and speaking of DJs, um, I'll be talking to a DJ tonight, DJ Camouflage. I have to say it like, DJ Camouflage. Hopefully that sounds as good as it does in my headphones um, but yeah, DJ Camouflage, he's from the LA area, and uh, I think he lives in the Rogue Valley now, so I'm going to talk to him, get to know a little bit about how he is as a DJ, wiki wiki ones and twos, and I'm pretty excited. You know, DJs, when they get together, are just chatting about DJ stuff, so this will be fun. Anyway, let's do it. Welcome to the Woodshed Podcast. Here we go. When I'm feeling like I just don't want to deal with the world today. I go down to the woodshed where all we do is pick and play. Play a song for the underdogs and the happy going lucky. 
Play a song for the Californios and East Kentucky. And when I'm feeling like I just don't want to deal with the world today, I go down to the woodshed where all we do is pick and play. I go down to the woodshed where all we do is pick and play. DJ Camouflage. Yo, my man, what's going on? You know, I'm just hanging out. Um, I'm in the closet right now. I'm in, I'm in my walk-in closet because that's the best sounding space in our home. <laughs> oh, fantastic. It normally is. You know, yeah, you don't, we don't do anything else in here. Just put our clothes on the floor after they're laundered. It's perfect. <laughs> it's a great place yeah, for exactly. <laughs> Good acoustically. Um, but man, thank that's, you. That's just sound insulation. That's all it is. It's sound and insulation. Thank you for reinforcing uh, what I know to be true. <laughs> yep. Yep. All right. Well, I'm excited to chat with you and talk to you about your DJ career and your comedy, uh, your comedy shows and kind of get to know a little bit more about you. Awesome. I found you because of my friend Bobak. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, he's great. I DJed his wedding. That's what he told me. That's that's so awesome. Yeah, he's a good dude. I I freaking he's got just the most positive energy, you know. Mm-hmm. So Absolutely. I really enjoy knowing him. And we were working together for a minute, um, and he was like, "Hey, you know, if you wanna if you wanna talk to somebody on the podcast, you ought to reach out to my buddy DJ Camouflage." Oh, and, awesome! And there we are. So yeah, here we, <laughs> exactly. Here we are. Here we are. So, hey, tell me, let's start this thing, man. Let's talk about your DJ stuff, and we'll get into the comedy, because I know you're playing locally pretty soon, right? Yeah, with both of those things. Nine. Oh, you got, you got yourself a little, a little DJ gig action coming up? Yeah, actually, that's thanks to you. You were asking me uh, a little while back if you could forward my info over to the people over at Hex. Uh, you know, Gary at uh, Rogue Valley DJs, he hooked me up. I have to tell you that Gary is one of the best people you'll ever encounter. He's a great guy. I love Gary. Um, Seems like, like it. Have you met him in person yet? Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. a few times. Cool. All right, good. I know he DJed uh, the last weekend at Hex. And uh, when are you DJing next? This upcoming Saturday, October 14th. Well, that would be today in, in the, in the, in the uh, recorded world. <laughs> okay. All awesome. right. All right, perfect. So it's going down tonight. It's going down tonight. Yeah, that's good stuff, man. So I wish I was in the the mindset of being able to come out and see a DJ. Uh, but you know, I'm an old guy and got a family, so I don't. I just don't. <laughs> I don't go out like that anymore. Um, but man, I man, I just it would be cool to see a DJ. So how did you start as a DJ? What what? How did that begin for you? Um, I started when I was 13. Uh, junior high, so like the end of seventh grade going into eighth grade. Yeah, and so that was, yeah, 1999. So damn, it's been about 24 years now. Are you using a walker to get to your gigs yet? Yeah, I know. I'm almost <laughs> there. Now that now that I'm thinking about the, the, the length of time, I'm like, wow. I My son, yeah. who who's 29 at the end of the month, Calls, okay. Oh wow, twenty nine. Okay. He calls me DJ Hover Round. 
Cub around? Because that's okay. Because I'm older, you know. And, and, and he used to say, you're the Brett Favre of DJs. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? That's, uh, that's actually a good compliment. <laughs> I guess. Yeah, right? I mean, it, it, yeah. he, he means it as a dig, you know, because I'm older. Right. So he means it as a dig. But, yeah, it's, de- it was, it's definitely a compliment. Um, yeah. So when you first started DJing when you were a teenager, what, what was the medium that you started with? What was Regular your vinyl oh, and yeah. turntables. Okay. Um, yeah, Serato hadn't come out yet. Like using your laptop to DJ hadn't come out yet. Um, you could do CD players at the time. Um, but as far as DJing, you know, on a serious note in 99, you were still on turntables and I... just use regular vinyl. I had the CDJ 1000s when they first came out, and they were yeah, they yeah. were they so, were good, man. Yeah, so those were available, and then like CD burning was getting big at the time. Yep. Um, but for the most part, all you know, all the radio guys and the club guys and all that were were doing turntables. So that that's what I hopped on. Um, I actually, well, I hopped on turntables because when I first started DJing, I wasn't even thinking about like clubs or mixes or anything like that i just wanted to scratch mm. so i that's all like i, I figured i was just going to be a turntablist like i just wanted to scratch so i was like I'm, i knew i was starting like i was going to get turntables i think i was about like eight years old when uh yeah i was eight years old when i decided i wanted to dj but i didn't have any money and then my dad came home and like he opened us he like put $25 in like a bank account and gave me like the little book and was like all right here's $25 like and now you keep track of it you know and I think I kept putting money in it until I had 550 bucks when I was 13 and that's what I used to buy the first okay all right well that's that's great man it's it's fun to to kind of look back at the at those beginnings um are you still Are you still putting it down on vinyl these days or have you moved over to like control? Um, when I go to clubs, I use whatever they have. Okay. I'm, I'm like, you know, I can use anything cause I'm sure, you know, but just like depending on what city you're in or what type of music you're doing for the night or what venue you're at, um, you know, they, they might have turntables up there. They might have a controller up there. They might have CDJs for you to use. Um, when I'm at home, I use turntables. Um, I own a controller as well. Like if I ever just need to like do some quick gigs and stuff. But yeah, I'm still on turntables with Serato. Okay. Um, But I like, you know, I've always been the type of dude to just use whatever. Because like when I was DJing in LA, um, I was opening for a lot of big acts. And so like they would put on the rider what equipment they wanted to use. And then I would show up and just have to use, you know, whatever, whatever DJ they had. Excel wanted to use for the night, yeah. you know? Yeah, I, I've, I've never had that luxury where I walk in and they just have stuff for me. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, I, I DJed, I've DJed for some pretty, pretty cool people and done some pretty cool gigs, but I've mm-hmm. always carried something in, you know, and yeah. uh, that's what I worked on, but that's, you know, L.A. I'm sure is, you know, I've never DJed in L.A. The closest I've become 
to DJing in LA was probably Vegas, but that was the, that was 95, 96, I think. And when I DJed in Vegas and that was a country bar, so everything was CDs, right? You didn't need to do, you weren't really doing beat matching at that point. You know, you were just playing the songs, you were playing line dances and two steps. And, you know, I know, I know the format very well, but excuse me. um, You weren't like scratching. No, no, I still can't scratch if I'm being honest. I'm not, (laughs) I'm not good at, uh, I can beat match. Like, I know, yeah. I can hear a song and know what I would play with it. Like, it, that's the hardest part about being a DJ at this point is being able to totally. enjoy songs without totally. hearing it as a DJ. So totally. I know how to do all that stuff, and I, I've got some tricks and bells and whistles, but scratching, I can kind of pull it off with the right hand and the left trying to crab, but trying to switch back to the right and left scratch it's, it's, I just can't do it, so I just don't. No, gotcha. I've never worked on it. It's that's all on me. It's all good. Um, but, oh yeah, it's but, it's not easy at all. I mean, that's. I think that's like probably the one thing that like, as much as DJ technology has advanced, like it still requires a lot of skill to do. You know. Right. Yeah, I. You know, I carved my name in this valley by being entertaining and not necessarily being maybe the best DJ. Cool. Um, but I can mix. You know, the mixing part is fine. In fact, I, you know, like, I, I worked on, you know, being able to play a set where I'm not mixing everything. You know, I'll segue a few songs because yeah. it's just, they're just too far apart, but I make it work to where it's not like a, just a slap in the face train wreck. You know, I, that, that's kind of my skill in that regard. But mixing has never, that's never been a problem for me. Once I started to learn how to mix, then it was just over at that point. Like, okay, now I got it. All I have to know is the beats per minute. And so I would spend time with my music. This is in the 90s. So I'm, I'm counting beats per minute where now, you know, if you open up uh, Serato and you, you, you analyze the tracks, you got all the beats per minute at your, th- at your fingertips. You're fine. You don't really have to do yeah. all that. But it's still good to know your library. I love to curate a playlist. If I'm going to DJ something that gives me the uh, artistic freedom, I'm curating it. Um, I'm building Beautiful. a playlist based on like, okay, tell me about the tastes and we go from there. But, um, yeah. when, have you ever, did you ever, <laughs> this is, this is kind of an anomaly. Have you ever met guys that are like super good turntablists, but oh. like can't mix two songs together? Yeah. Yes. Um, I have a buddy back in <laughs> Southern California. Like dude is probably like the greatest scratcher, like amazing turntablist ever seen in your life. But like, if you were like, Hey dude, rock this party for 30 minutes. Like you can't do it. <laughs> uh, well, being, being a battle DJ is a completely different animal to begin with. Yeah. You yeah. Know, you're, you're not, you're not reading the crowd like we would in a nightclub. Right. You know, you're not really making an adjustment. You're also the people that go to see a battle DJ aren't going to go for dancing purposes. They're going to see the battle. You know, they're going to watch the DJ, you know, the the DJs compete and, you know, cheer for whoever they like the most, you know, all that stuff, blah, blah, blah. But, yeah, I um, it's funny because what if I what if I partnered with a DJ that can't mix but can scratch and then I'm mixing? You know, <laughs> like like a like you got a band that's got like um, you know a drummer and a yeah. saxophonist, and they're kind of playing off of each other in some yeah. way or the other. You know that that would be cool. Um, right. When uh, when you first started DJing, um, when did you start 
getting paid for it? Like, how, when did that start for you? Yeah, you see, that was the thing. I think it was probably, like, within my first year in, like, I was probably, like, seven, eight months in, like, one of my, like, my brother was, like, nine years older, is nine years older than me. So, at that time, his buddies were, like, 21, 22, and they would hear me scratching and this and that. And one of his buddies, I remember, came, like, in my room and was like, hey, like, that's, you know, that sounds really good. I'm like, thanks. And he was like, yo, but, like, if you're trying to get paid to do this, like, go and rock a club or something like that, like, you better learn how to mix songs together, too. You know what I mean? Not no, not just scratch the whole goddamn time. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. um, and so I think, yeah, probably, like, uh, like eight months in, I think I made $25 doing like a Halloween party. And I was like, I'm the fucking shit. I'm right the here. best DJ mm-hmm. ever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <sighs> um, but like, I didn't start making like serious money until, you know, um, probably like four or five years in. And honestly, that's because that's when I started doing the 18 and over clubs. Mm. So that is one problem with starting to DJ so damn young is like, if you're trying to find a money source, it's probably going to be nightclubs. And then those are probably going to be like 18 and over. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, um, here in Medford, well, I don't live in Medford. I'm in Central Point, but Rogue Valley, it's all the same. Mm -hmm. Um, there was a, there was an underage club, uh, I never DJed there. Yeah. Um, but then years later, a different club opened up, and I, I was working in radio. I worked at the Kiss FM that's still on the air here, 1075. Yeah. I was the nighttime radio show host. That's and cool. Vibes Main One opened up, and I was DJing there from time to time. And it's funny, like, I hate, man, I hate high school dances. I hate DJing high school dances. It's the okay. absolute worst DJ scenario that I've ever walked into maybe only not as bad as DJing the strip club or about the same oh wow okay high school dances so here's the dynamic of a high school dance that like from my eyes so you've got the facility or the staff um, telling you don't play Ludacris don't play Usher don't play and the kids are playing yelling play Ludacris play Usher and they're you know they (laughs) they want to bump and grind and touch each other and the teachers are like don't allow them to bump and grind this is footloose damn it you know so yeah yeah, wow painful it that sucks I Gary will hit me up and be like hey um I'm doing a high school dance this week I don't nope nope you know I just booked a high school dance and I'm not the guy for that I do not have the patience for teenagers in, in that environment any longer. So thanks, but no gotcha. thanks. <laughs> gotcha. And I DJed, um, I DJed here at a country bar for 10 years. And it was a lot of fun. Uh, yeah. I, I definitely, that was the, so I DJed, the first job I had here as a DJ was the skating rink that's defunct or defunct, whatever the word is. Uh, it's shut down. <laughs> Wow, I'm just making up words now, camouflage. <laughs> anyway, I'm DJing at the skating... All right, I start working at the skating rink, and I'm like the floor guard, and they, you know, like, I'm telling kids to slow down and running the games, and then one guy's like, dude, you'd be really good as a DJ. And I'm like, well, you know, like, when I was a kid, I used to try to pl- pretend to be a DJ in my bedroom, so maybe I could. And so I started DJing, and then the general uh-huh. manager of the hotel that the nightclub was in was coming in with his daughter. And he's like, hey, oh. 
I've got a, a weekend spot or a, a, a fill-in spot where you would do the days off for our main DJ like two or three nights a week. Do you want it? I was like, all right, I'll give it a try. And I walk in the door. It's a country bar, and I don't know shit about country. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, I look like a skateboarder, and I'm skinny, and I can't even grow a goatee, let alone a, a beard. And right. I, I'm wearing Alps, you know, boots like Ice Cube would wear, and the big, big Levi's, <laughs> and, you know, the House of Pain look, basically. I'm walking in this country bar in the House of Pain look, and I'm just nice. getting dogged, dude. I'm getting dogged. And yeah. And... I end up going, okay, you know, I guess I can try it out. Well, that job took me to Vegas. Um, not like I, I quit and was hired in, uh, to DJ the, the bar in Vegas, which sucked, and I left in two months and came back here. Um, but that job also took me to Nashville where I was, um, I was speaking in a convention about programming dan- country music to the dance floor. So that bar kind of made me as a DJ at that point and yeah. made me available to like weddings. And, you know, then I started playing hip hop in another nightclub in Ashland that's now shut down. Um, I was the first yeah. DJ to play hip hop in this club. Everything was trance at that point. No. Oh. And then we started doing eighties night, which was just cracking, man. But anyway, um, so what, tell me, tell me some of the like rooms that you've DJed in, like, where have you been at? Um, mainly the biggest ones like that I was a resident at was Lure in Hollywood. Okay. Um, L-U-R-E, Lure. Um, I've also used to DJ a lot of shows at like the House of Blues, um, both in Anaheim and in uh, L.A. off Sunset when they still had one. And um, there was a lot, like the Newport Beach area of Orange County, because it's like a really high-end real estate, has really beautiful um, nightclubs. Mm. So um, done the ones there, like uh, American Junkie and like stuff in like Huntington Beach area, like Hennessy's and Sharky's. And um, when I was in Vegas, I would mainly do Tau which is in the Venetian. Um, but usually more often I would do Tau Beach, which is the daytime pool party. Okay, all right. Um, yeah, those are probably like two of my favorite places to be. I would love um, actually to DJ in a, in a beach, like the, day, the daytime thing in a beach club. But I'm, yeah. I'm the whitest white boy, so the writer would be, you know, two gallons of SPF 50. Thank you. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm so the white. The coolest probably of those other than Tau Beach was uh, I did the intervention pool party, <laughs> which was at uh, the Hard Rock Cafe in San Diego. Okay. Um, huh. Yeah, that was real fun. You ever get out east somewhere to DJ? Out east. Um, Fontaine, oh gosh, I'm always bad at Fontaine Blue in Miami. Oh, okay. I'm always really bad at. I always say Fountain Blue. Um, <laughs> hmm. um, that's the main one, and then little, like very tiny bit in like the DC area, but nothing else. I was. I, I, I've been to like I've DJed in Colorado. I've DJed in Nebraska, yes. like Lincoln, um, Denver, 
Denver's yeah. Denver's a lot of fun, man. Denver it is, is it's a melting pot, so you get a lot of people from everywhere. Like like probably like you've experienced in LA or even Vegas. Vegas is the same way. Like no one's from Vegas. My mom lives in Vegas. Um I don't know why. I don't know how she does it. But <laughs> I can't, dude. I, I hate it living there. It's tough. I don't even like visiting. But um Yeah, the Denver market really likes hip hop. Yeah, yes. I've I've done a lot of deep house in places. I I don't it do, like I'm not a genre guy. You can you can hire me to do whatever as long as I can study the music a little bit first. I can play it. Um, cool. And, and, you know, like it, I didn't know country, and then all of a sudden I'm DJing country. Um, yeah, that's the best way to be. During yeah, it's open format. It's cool, but I also like I was saying, I like to curate. You know, what's what's the gig gonna what, what's it gonna be like. Uh, that's the biggest joy as a DJ at this point for me. I don't, dude, I don't really DJ anymore. Uh, but if mm-hmm. I, if I get to, it's purely for money. You know, it's like a wedding, yeah. you know, something that pays better. I'm, I don't have time for the clubs or the energy or patience. Um, yeah. I actually, the last club I DJed at was Voodoo Martini, which is a part of Hex. Right. Um, it was the first part. It's still the smallest part. And I was their first DJ. Um, the guy that CT that owns it, he's had me in every club he's work, he's owned. And, cool. and he called me up one day. He's like, Hey man, I'm opening this little tiny ultra lounge type of place yeah. where I want you to play deep house from like seven until 11. I was like, all right, cool. cool. That, that sounds fun. Easy early night. I can get home before midnight. No worries. Then, yeah. it, then it turned into, all right, like how about seven to one? And I'm all, you're paying me more, right? And he kind of laughed, like, yeah, no, I'm not going to do it unless you're paying me more. And then it was yeah. like, well, we're going to start staying open until 2. Well, you're paying me more. <laughs> like, yeah, that's a long time. That's too long. 7 it, to 2, yeah. That's how I well, didn't really meet my wife, but where we kind of reconnected because we'd known each other, but not yeah. really ever hung out. Like, she was married, I was married. And yeah. then one night she came into Voodoo with our sister-in-law now, because now I'm married to her. Uh, uh-huh. not, not the sister-in-law, but her, uh, yeah. bro- her <laughs> I'm not married to the sister-in-law too, but uh, <laughs> her, her brother's wife. And I just like, oh, Suzette, you know, last time I saw her was in Portland. I was DJing. I was like, wow. hey, how's Portland? She's like, I, will, I live here. I'm going through a divorce. I'm like, well, hello, here's my phone number. You know, we talk. Yeah, for real. Now we're yeah. married. We have a kid, you know, like it's, life yeah. is different. But, um. That's cool, man. I'm glad she didn't like run away when she saw you DJing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, you know, I I think I'm okay enough as a DJ for her to say, like, my husband's a DJ and be fine with Good. it. Yeah, thank Good. you. I appreciate that camouflage. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, what, um, what part of L.A. are you from? Uh, I'm from Orange County, actually. Oh, okay. I just used to DJ a lot in L.A. because it was so close by. What um, What part of Orange County? I'm from what Orange town? County from Mission, Mission Viejo, California. Okay. Yeah, my mom lived in Buena Park for years in the 80s. Okay, yeah, yeah so that's like where Knott's Berry Farm is. Yep, exactly. Um, there's a lot of good nightclubs, like bar nightclubs in that area. It's not close, but we get down to Ventura um, for at least a night or two, and then we go up to Santa Barbara for a week every July for vacation. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's it's the one of my most favorite new memories that we're making is going to Santa Barbara for a week. It's such a pretty place. I really oh, like yeah, it. Oh, yeah, dude. Years ago, I did radio there, but I never stepped foot in Santa Barbara. So how does that make any sense? You know? <laughs> really? Wow. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. How well, did you manage to avoid it? You uh, 
you know, they syndicate you, basically. I worked for Clear yeah. Channel. Um, ah. And I was doing out-of-market voice tracking in a bunch of different markets that I've never even been to. It was really strange, but it worked. Yeah, so people are, like, hearing your voice there, but you're not there. Nope, not at all. Most, wow. most times, if you're listening to the radio, they're probably not there, and they're probably not live. Um, I can tell you uh, right now who's live in the, in the right. valley. Yeah, I can tell you who's live. <laughs> when you were doing uh, Kiss FM in the valley... Was did that turn into a lot of DJ gigs for you? You better damn believe it. Yeah, you better believe that I leveraged my radio show to get me gigs. Well, to be honest, the reason I ask is because my LA buddies who do radio don't make that much money on the radio, no. and I'm like, then why the hell do you do this? And they're like, because I make a bunch of money from getting hired at the club because I'm on the radio. Yes. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, you you definitely are able to leverage your, you know, I my best friend calls it the diet coke of celebrity. <laughs> like the diet coke of celebrity. Yeah, like local celebrity. Um he calls it diet coke. It's just he's a, he's digging, you know, he's making a dig. But right. you, you you're able if you're working in radio, I don't care what day part or if you're part time, you you're able to leverage that to get yourself into clubs cuz that's I I definitely did that. Um, now, would you say when you did that, it was only appealing to like local clubs or would it work across the country as well? Um, fortunately, I, you know, I, the, the times that I've DJed out of market were because of friends that I know here. Uh huh. And, you know, they would pay me for travel and pay my rate and, you know, pay for a hotel, everything that I yeah. need. Um, but that's, that's not something that I would try to do very often. Um, that's tiring. And, yeah. you know, here, so, yes, you know, I, I was able to leverage my, my radio uh, personality to get into clubs and actually make a little bit more money than the other guys, which pissed a lot of people off, including, yeah. including bands. Like, bands were so mad at me because I made more than they did. You know, and, but, yeah, and they're like a whole production. Well, yeah, you know, you walk in, it makes sense. You walk in there with like four or five people to play four or five instruments, and you're walking out with a hundred bucks, like to split. Yeah, that sucks. Yeah, um, but hey, and so I, I'm guessing they would also like advertise. You know, our DJ for next Saturday is you know Travis from Kiss FM. Yes. Right? Yep. It's yeah. It was DJ Opie back then. Right. And, and because uh, I don't know what your age is, but you may know the Andy Griffith show, right? Yeah. Okay, so the little kid on the Andy Griffith show, his his character name is Opie. Oh, okay. <laughs> and I when I walked into that country bar in the nineties, the bartender goes, You look like Opie, and it just stuck. Oh, cool. Yeah, so that was nineteen ninety one and people still call me Opie. If you if you ask you can ask people in certain settings, hey, do you know, do you know DJ Opie? Like, yeah, heck yeah. <laughs> you know, I know him as Travis. <laughs> like, it's kind of funny. <laughs> sure, yeah. Um, but yeah, you, it's, it's tough for me to take my wife out on dates in the town because I know so many people. And I want to give them time. You know, I want to say hi. But I'm, I'm having to learn how to go, hey, sorry, I'm out on a date with my wife. But it was really nice to see you. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know? Totally, yeah. That Coke right celebrity. Um. What um, what brought you to the Southern Oregon area? Um, initially, I fell in love with Ashland. Okay. So I, you know, we came, 
this way to get, get to Ashland, basically. We initially moved there. Um, but I just, I'm kind of doing more of like living here, but still just DJing wherever. Uh-huh. Um, I just kind of needed a change of pace and a change of scenery after like COVID and all that. Um, a lot of things slowed down um, during COVID, you know, with just the club scene, especially in like the Southern California area. Oh, where yeah. they, you know, a lot of things were locked down and stuff like that. Um, so I found like other, you know, creative outlets um, and definitely coming to Oregon, you know, helped with a lot of that. I was DJing, um, and you can't find me on social media anymore. Uh, <laughs> conveniently, that's the best way for me to say no to gigs is to not be on social media. Um, but no, that's a good point. Back back during our lockdown, a buddy of mine was like, "Hey, man, like all these guys are DJing on social media. You know, with the amount of people that you have on Facebook, it would probably be a good idea and a moneymaker for you to to DJ on social media and put up your pay app information and and just start spinning and i knew yeah. i knew that i would have a hard time with music because i understand the industry and so i started downloading house music and a lot of the songs i was playing the first night um were like house remixes of, of known songs uh, but they weren't they weren't um they weren't throttling me at that point so i came yeah. i came on i did like a two-hour set and made like 1200 bucks Cool. And I was like, all right, well, I guess I'll just take a layoff and DJ on Facebook. And so oh. I named it Party Garage, and I was selling T-shirts and hoodies, and I started making uh, cash donations to local charities like that would be 50% of the take. Um, so 50% of what people would tip me on Venmo or all the pay apps um, – and yeah. then whatever I sold, I would donate 50% of the proceeds to whatever local charity I was running for the whole week. So it right. went from a Saturday night to doing lunch hours, Monday through Friday, and then Saturday night, like, club time. And the people were sending me videos of them dancing in their living room, and the kids were dancing with them. And it was like this, dude, it was this whole thing. And I felt yeah. so fed and blessed that I was like, I'm just going to keep doing it until the wheels fall, fell off. Yeah. Um, ended up making a living, you know, and being able to buy a brand new DDJ 1000 SRT and buy, you know, more things. I was, I had a whole set that I made in the garage and yeah. it was cool. I get out there, turn on Facebook, do a little bit of talk and then step behind the decks and have my whole curated set of house music and just play it. And I was doing like, quick mixing and you know the back masting and playing with all the filters and you know just kind of trying to put on a club show in the middle of the lunch day and people loved it dude it was so cool um, I love that. that was i was very fortunate to be able to do that and make a make a living and not have to worry about unemployment or you know like feeling like a piece of shit because i can't work because even though it wasn't my fault like that's how a man would feel if he's trying to provide for a family, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So, anyway, um, but yeah, I was, I was lucky for that. But in, it's a beautiful thing. In your career as a DJ, um, what would be your, like, defining, like, emotionally payout? You know, the, the, the time that paid you the most, like, emotionally? Um... 
So I'm the DJ for a hip hop group called I and I. Okay. Um, and we opened for Cypress Hill. Oh, okay. No big uh, deal. No big deal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, at the House of Blues. Wow. In uh, in Hollywood. And then that led to us um, playing the Vans Warp Tour. Wow. Yeah. And I think the most, the, to answer your question, the thing that was super emotional about it was, um, I think on like that, for that Vans Warp Tour, we were like the only hip hop group amongst like all punk bands. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And just like looking out of the crowd of like, that audience and just rocking them with hip hop was like very emotionally connecting for me. In the nineties at the country bar. And I promise you, it's not the only place that I worked that had cool stories. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have time for all the cool stories. Um, but in the nineties uh, at the country bar, whenever the, the rodeo would come to town, there's a rodeo here in the Valley um, at the at the expo called the Wild Rug Pro Rodeo, and I, I I think it's still called that. It's been a million years since I was involved. Mm -hmm. um, but those guys, that's a rodeo that was a big stop that you needed to get the points if you wanted to try to get into the national finals rodeo in Vegas. The big boy, uh -huh. you know, the the granddaddy of them all, you know, kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, but uh, which I think is the actually that's the name of the is that the name of the NFR or Cheyenne Frontier Days. <laughs> Anyway, whatever. Um, but but these these uh, big bull riders would come to town, and all the other parts of rodeo. They would all. It wasn't just bull riding. It was all the other parts of rodeo. They'd come to town, and I'm playing country, and a little bit of like open dance, you know, rock and hip hop, whatever's kind of whatever I'm feeling, you know, whatever the crowd's giving me back, I'm giving them, I'm giving them that. And the yeah. bull, bull riders were like, "Hey, man, like, do you have to play this much country?" I was like, what oh, are you wow. I, we, we're so tired of country. Can we please hear like more Tupac or something? You know, it was really funny. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that happens. Yeah. So, um, ha, oh. have you ever had like a big surprise moment when you're DJing? Like, oh shit, I didn't think that would happen. Um, big surprise moment. Um, yeah, I, there was. One time I was opening for DJ Ruckus and I was at Lure and it was my birthday. And I just went like, I went super in. I just went in on that opening <laughs> set. All right. And like when he showed up, you know, I think I was doing like 10 to 12 and he was doing like 12 to 2. And like they were very, that was like a very uh, militant format of like, you know, when the headliner shows up, like, you got, like, one more song and then, like, move out of the way and let him hop on type of thing, you know? Um, and, like, he showed up, and I started getting ready to hop off, and he, like, grabbed my shoulder and, like, was like, keep going. Like, just just keep going, please. And I was like, are, are you sure? And he was like, there's no way I can take you off right now. You That's know awesome. What I mean? <laughs> and I was just like, oh, holy shit. And then in my head, I was like, I really didn't think that was gonna happen you know huh that's a that's a really fun one um yeah absolutely one of mine was definitely Bobbick's wedding oh yeah so 
Bobbitt got married at a venue that I don't think they do weddings anymore. It's over in Jacksonville, but they have this big stage. It's an old school um, gymnasium. So you got oh, okay. the, the wooden floor, and it's, it, they've converted it into this beautiful venue setting, um, but it still has the wooden floor, but there's no, like, basketball marks or any sidelines or anything. There's nothing like that. It's just wood. Um, but you can tell it was the school floor at one point of the, the basketball court and all that because it's the same yeah. wood. But the stage, um, they had me up on the stage, and there was a big curtain that I was kind of behind. I mean, I wasn't kind of behind it. I was totally behind it. And it, yeah. was, it was really funny at, at first because I'm, I'm playing the ceremony music and everyone's walking up on stage and I'm barely able to see what's going on. So I'm basically shitting my pants. And yeah. <laughs> I realized that I'm not only am I behind the curtain, but there are women, the, the bridesmaids are like four inches from my DJ table and they don't know it. <laughs> and oh, I, wow. I start to like kind of cough and I'm like, oh, I'm going to freak these chicks out. I got to do something. <laughs> so I like waited. And then um, the, the ceremony ends, you know, it's, it, I assume it was beautiful. It sounded beautiful because I couldn't see anything. Um, yeah. And I'm just playing dinner music. And I don't know if, you know, you know obviously, you know, Bobak and his family are all Persian. Yeah. And I, I'm just standing there behind this curtain. And this guy comes up behind the stage. He's like, hey, man, do you have any idea what's going on out there? I said, no, not a clue. And he goes, you might want to pop out real quick and see. And little do I know that um, people are trying to dance. The, the Persian family who traveled very far, they're trying to dance to the, just this nondescript cocktail music. Oh, wow. And, and it's, it's like literally they're ready to party. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. They'll, they'll dance to whatever, yeah. Whatever. And so I, I had worked out with Bobak that um, his, his uncle was going to do a little set and that he sent me all this music, this Persian music, which was just so much fun. Um, yeah. It's very like disco flared house music. And mm-hmm. I'm, he, he gives me all this music and I, st- I just start to play it and it's just crushing it. Well, I don't know this because I don't, I, at that point, like Bobak is the only guy I know that's of Persian variety. I have no idea. Yeah. Um, the cultural divide was in full force, but I learned literally this year, camouflage, that yeah. it's, it's a, a tradition to say, um, I'm, I will be honored to dance at your wedding when you get invited, right? If you get right. invited, it's a thing. Like, I'll be honored to dance at your wedding. That's how you show the, the uh, that's how the, the Persian culture shows their love to the bride and groom is by dancing at their wedding. So it's yes. kind of, I, I, that was years ago. And I literally learned this year when I talked to Bobak about it, like, hey, man, like that was, this was shocking to me because here I am behind the curtain and all of a sudden people want to party and I'm like, oh crap, I got to switch gears, yeah, <laughs> you know, and right. turn it into a party. Um, but yeah, that was definitely one. Um, there's many, but that was one that really sticks out. And I figured it was fun to share with you because of your connection to him. How do you know him? I'm also Persian. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> yeah. We so you know, know all these things I just learned. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, do you know what the uh, like Anglo tradition at weddings is? Um, like with the knife dance and stuff like that. No, Anglo being like white people like me. What's what's oh, the, no. what's the white people tradition? At weddings? Yeah, there isn't one because we're boring. That's what that's the truth. Oh, there isn't one. Okay. <laughs> <There's> not, 
my my uh, my trick that works is, um, and I'll send you a picture later. But what I do is, after the garter bouquet toss, I I invite the bride and groom back to the dance floor, yeah. and I I get on the mic and I say, okay, now I need everyone else to join us. We're going to take a group picture, like a big selfie moment, and I want everyone in it. And so I get them up there. And we wait, I like wait, it's painful. I'm waiting for everyone to come up. And I'm making sure for one, like there's no like people who aren't able to walk up. I try to make it like, hey, if you're able, come on up. And I'm not waiting for that person to come up. I know they're not gonna come, so I don't pressure them. Um, But anyway, I get them all on the dance floor. I put the bride and groom facing their, their guests. And I say, you know, something to the effect of, you're here to support them on their big day, continue that, you know, blah, 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 and it's, man, it's really sweet, and then I'm like, all right, let's take this picture, and I take the picture, and I'm like, I'm in front of the bride and groom, everyone else is behind us, and I take the selfie, and it's a lot of fun, and then I'm all, hey, I wrote a song for today, I wrote a song for you guys, hold on, I'm gonna go play it, and I go around the, the table, and I hit play, and it's another one bites the dust by Queen, and they're, they're standing on the dance floor. I'm like, hey, you guys are standing on the dance floor. You might as well use it for dancing. And they're like, oh, my gosh, no way you got us. Well, no one wants, <laughs> no one wants to be the first person on the dance floor. So that's, no, how I get, right. that's how I get these white people to dance. <laughs> yeah, oh, perfect. Yeah, nobody wants to be the first one out Nobody. There. I don't care who you are, unless you're Persian at a wedding. And that, that's the, the job of, of, of supporting your family is dancing for them Correct. at their wedding. <laughs> Correct. Oh yep. my goodness! That's but right. well, hey, let's uh, let's transition a little bit to uh, talk about the the comedy stuff. So, how did you get involved in comedy? Um, I got involved with comedy about uh, six years ago. Um, initially, it was like it just came from like all the funny stuff that I had seen over the you know years of DJing. Um, and I used to just tell people these things and, you know, just have them rolling. And, you know, I think one day I just had a thought of like, you know, I bet you I could do stand-up comedy, but just based on all the funny things <laughs> that I've seen over this like 20 something years of DJing. And, um, yeah, that's, that's how it's worked out. Yeah. And then it's been incredibly fun and, um, it's been cool to talk about DJing, and like nightlife and stuff like that, you know, through a comedy lens. Um, there's other stuff as well. You know, I also talk about uh, current events and just like cultural stuff and family stuff and things like that. But um, for the most part, it's, you know, mainly about music and DJing and stuff. I kept my name DJ Camouflage because at that point, you know, I had been doing, I'd been DJing for about 18 years before I started doing comedy. So at that point, you know, that was like my stage name already. And that's kind of what people knew me as. And when people started booking me, I was like, oh, well, if you want people to know who it is, then you need to put DJ Camouflage. Mm. Like, okay. yeah. How did you come up with the name? Um, my real name's Cam. So when I first started DJing, I used to like always wear camouflage. Oh, and I think some dudes were just one day like, oh, cam camouflage. But then like one day someone kind of explained to me like, oh, it means like, you know, the ability to blend and the ability mm. to like, you know, form into any scenario and the ability to just, 
you know, how, how DJing is, right? Like blend and mix together. So <laughs> I just loved it and I went with that. If I was ever in a club where you were DJing and camouflage, I'd be the guy that comes up to you and says, hey, I'm looking for the DJ, but I can't see him. There you go. I'd be that guy. Sorry, Cam. Yep. I'm so sorry. Yep. <laughs> yep. My, uh, my boss was talking about he was a judge at the, at the Tattoo Expo in Portland uh, over the okay. weekend. And one of the guys that he was judging was wearing camouflage pants. And he's like, hey, you know, that's a great tattoo. I really like it. But next time, maybe wear pants. <laughs> and no one got it. No one got it. And I was like, oh, man, I'm sorry I wasn't there because I would have laughed. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So you got a, you've got a local comedy show coming up here in Southern Oregon. Let, 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 tell me about it. Where is it at? When are you playing? Yeah, um, you know, give me all Chadwick's, the info. Um, Chadwick's, which is, in my opinion, like the best nightclub or the best comedy club. Uh, in Southern Oregon. It's in Medford at the Rogue Regency Hotel. It's called Chadwick's Comedy Club. Uh, I'm there October 20th and 21st. So Friday and Saturday, October 20th and 21st. Um, I'm also going to be rocking the Medford YMCA on November 4th doing stand-up comedy. Okay. And then... um, uh, if anybody's in Washington, I'll be at Joker's Comedy Club in Richland, Washington on November 9th, 10th, and 11th. That's Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I'm, I'm the featured act um, for all of that. And then I'm also currently working um, with the group we started called the Comedy Bros. Um, and so that's me and comedian Jason Webb and comedian Jamil Jackson, who are also Medford locals. Um, and, uh, we have a show for that on Friday, November 3rd at Alwyn, uh, Alwyn Winery in Medford, Oregon as well. And, and that show is really fun because that show is comedy, um, but it's more of like a group comedy thing and it's very fun and interactive and oh. I actually DJ while I'm up there doing stand up. Um, and, um, you know, it's, it's a little bit different. It's, it's, uh. Not your traditional stand-up comedy show, but okay. uh, the other stuff I mentioned is. <laughs> I've got a couple of questions left, mm-hmm. and they're the most serious questions that I'll ask you on the podcast. Okay. Are you seated? Are you safe? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Why is pineapple the best topping for pizza? Um, it, it's not. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What are you talking about, Cam? It's the best it's one not, ever. I it's, mean, there's, there's, other, <laughs> there's other toppings that are the best for that's, pizza. That's literally the reason why I asked that question, because it's so polarizing. Either you love it or you hate it. There's no middle right. of the road with pineapple on pizza. Um, <laughs> next, next serious question is, how do you eat string cheese? Do you just bite into it like an animal, or do you pull it apart like you're civilized? Yeah, I didn't know. See, string cheese is kind of... Uh, <laughs> It's an American tradition. So okay. when I first came to America, I didn't know. And I, and I was probably just biting into it for like a couple of years before someone was like, you know, it's called string cheese because you got to like pull it apart like string, right? And I was like, nope, didn't know that. Um, I'll let, but I, I know that now. I'll let you off the hook, Cam. Thank you. Okay. I was 51 years old. I think might be 52 because I'm coming up on 53 at the end of the year. Uh-huh. When my wife goes, why do you eat string cheese like that? 
what are you talking about? She's like, dude, you got to pull it apart, man. I'm like, I don't even know. Like, that doesn't make any sense to me. Like, I just eat it this way because that's how I've eaten it my whole damn life. Well, I found out on that day that pulling it apart makes it taste so much better. Yeah, why is that? I don't know. Science. I have no idea. I have no idea. Yeah, that's true. How how does my audience connect with you, Camouflage? Oh, um, I'm actually really easy because as long as you know how to spell it, it's the same on everything. Perfect. Um, So it's at DJ Camouflage, which is K-A-M-O-F-L-A-G-E. So DJ K-A-M-O-F-L-A-G-E. And that's the same on everything. Um, it's at DJ Camouflage, Instagram, twi- Twitter. My website's DJ Camouflage.com, DJ K-A-M-O-F-L-A-G-E.com. Um, if you want to download my music, it's on everything, Spotify, iTunes, um, Apple Music, wherever you get music from. And it's also spelled the same way, DJ Camouflage. It's on SoundCloud too, right? It's on SoundCloud. It's on everything. Yeah, luckily yeah. It, it's uh, whatever, you, whatever you like to stream on. Um, my music is on there and for any DJs that are listening, I have a song out called party with the DJ Oh, and it's not only an incredibly good song, but it makes people want to party with the DJ. Okay. So I highly recommend like if you're at a club, you play it because it's just going to make it that much more fun for you. I like it. Well, I appreciate your time and your willingness. I know we had a couple of pivots uh, in, in organizing this time with you. So thank you so much. And No problem at all. We'll definitely connect in real life one day. Awesome. Cool. I'm looking forward to it. Can I just say one more thing before yeah. the podcast Yes, over? sir. Uh-huh. Um, I get to do this really cool thing called DJing, and I get to do this awesome thing called stand-up comedy, and it's all because America is the greatest country in the world, and it gives me the freedom to be able to do these things. Uh, I'm a refugee to this country, and the country that I'm from, which is Iran, wouldn't allow me to be a DJ, wouldn't allow me to be a stand-up comedian, um, but I'm able to do that here. So for anybody out there who's chasing their dreams, and it is artistic and is creative, you know, don't take it for granted. Mm. Uh, you're free and you're able to do it because of the place that you live. So always respect that. That is powerful stuff. Thank you for sharing that. Absolutely. You have a good night, Cam. I'll, I'll, we'll definitely link up in real life. I, I, I want to meet you. you got a great energy. Thank you for your time on the podcast. It's been a pleasure, an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Have a good night. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Great. Just fun. Another fun one. Just And the thing is, too, is like I know that because we're both DJs, we could just fucking ramble. Sorry, Barb, for cussing. Um, But anyway, we could just ramble. We could totally ramble on and on and on, and that would be fine. But um, thank you again. Uh, Share the podcast with your friends, with your mom, with your mom's friends, with whoever else, like I said earlier. And go ahead and support uh, Camouflage by clicking the links that I'll post in the show notes. And I want to thank Rogue Valley DJs, a look design and Moxley Media because without them, I'm pretty dang boring. Have a good one. We'll see you next time. Bye bye.